This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. something when you see a symbol or you hear something that immediately brings to mind uh, an organization, an individual, a memory, and boy, that is so true, of the Salvation Army. And we're going to be talking about the Salvation Army with the Salvation Army for an hour. But before you say, wait a minute, hold on, is this going to be an hour pitch before Christmas about the kettle and the bell. Hold on, just a moment. Be patient, because I think after a very few minutes, you're going to discover that you are discovering more about the Salvation Army than you ever knew before. Because I already have, as a result of having a chat with Major Nancy Dela, Southwest Division General Secretary. And the Southwest Division consists of Southern Nevada, all of Arizona, and New Mexico. And boy, are you folks busy when you're talking about taking care of those states totally and completely beyond what you do at Christmas time in front of the supermarket. Absolutely. It's our privilege to serve in each one of those communities. Are the bells and the kettles still operating successfully? They are. They, they're taking a little bit of a different flair, and we have to be more strategic. We have places that are really good for us to be at, and then places that we struggle, we just have to learn where to, to maximize our time and efforts. But they represent a huge portion of our budget each year. And that budget is taken care of as a result, in part, of the Bells and Kettles holidays. That's but true. Where else? Well, we, we get just general donations. In some of our programs, we receive government funds. So we have to leverage all of that to make our, our communities come together. We, we serve very generous communities, people who really want to give dollars and, and checks that will support the men and women in their community that are struggling. Since this program is international, there are people around the world right now who are saying, well, okay, uh, I dropped a few bucks at Christmas time into the kettle, but some others might be saying at the end of this hour, I had no idea the Salvation Army did all those things. I think I might write a check, but nobody's asking right now. At least wait till you find out what Major Nancy has to say when I ask her what the mission is. Is it simple enough that you can tell me what the Salvation Army is even about? The Salvation Army exists to serve humanity, to save souls, serve suffering humanity, and grow saints. Not just in the southwestern United States? All across the world. The Salvation Army is now serving in 130 countries worldwide. See, I told everybody they were going to find out something they didn't know. I just did. How many countries? 130 around the world. If you gave me the rest of my life, I could not name 130 plus countries, <laughs> and you are there in different capacities. Um, let me ask you about something that I just found out and that I do know the answer to, but maybe some other folks are going to have their eyes opened wide as a result of the answer to the question 
What is your response to the word others? Um, this, that was a telegram that our founder sent out to motivate his officers decades and decades ago. And it was a one-word telegram, and it was just others. And it was to motivate people that are serving in the Salvation Army to help others. That's our mission today as well. I didn't ask you to be a historian, but tell me a little bit more about that story and who that founder was and about when it happened. William Booth, William and Catherine Booth, actually, we have two founders of the Salvation Army, although it's generally attributed to William Booth. Um, but together they founded the Salvation Army in 1865 in London, England. And it was just within a few years that it already began its, its growth across the pond. And um, this year in Arizona, we celebrate our 125th year serving in the state of Arizona. What was his motivation? Um, in London, there were a lot of people that just felt like they didn't fit into any church. And he saw this desperate humanity around him that was really struggling. And he knew that the answer wasn't to just give them a cup of water. The answer wasn't just to give them a cup of soup. But it was to deal with the whole part of the individual, the heart and the soul and the body. And so he made a place available where people could come in, whether they felt like they were dressed right for church or not, they could come in and be comfortable and, and receive something that would sustain them physically, but also would receive a word of encouragement that would hopefully touch the heart of the person and then um, hear a word from the Lord through the Bible and through Scripture. Which automatically says to, I think, a lot of folks who are listening right now, oh, well, then this is just assistance and help for Christians because uh, it's a Christian organization. You're talking about the Bible as being the, uh, the philosophic base of your work. So uh, my friend Moshe, uh, if he's in trouble, he can't come in? The Salvation Army serves anybody. Um, our mission statement actually says that we serve without discrimination. I worked with a very influential board member in Portland who said it simply, we serve anybody and everybody. If you present a need and if we have the resources to support your request, we will, we will happily serve. Well, with those 130-plus countries that you were talking about just a moment ago, obviously many of them are not predominantly Christian. Correct. So we go in and try and be an influence wherever we're at. And you don't hit anybody over the head if they uh, don't promise to convert for a sandwich? Not at all. Do not have to have the same um, religious views at all. It's We're there to serve and to provide for people that need. Now, here's the toughest question. I'm sorry. I never told you, Major Nancy, <laughs> that this was going to be easy. Okay. Have you ever in your life, as a member of the Salvation Army, and that life professionally has encompassed more than 30 years for you. That's you told correct. Me, right? mm -hmm. Before that, you were a nurse. Yes. Oh, you talk about a life of service. But I don't know whether you're going to be able to answer this. I'll hey, give it my best. All right. And remember, nobody lies on the God show, especially if you're from the Salvation Army. I'll give it my best. Have you ever met anybody that didn't like the Salvation Army? I think there are people who struggle with the things that we stand for and who believe that we may not um, offer assistance without discrimination. And I think there are sometimes issues with people like that. How could they be in any way critical? And, and I'm one of those people who, 
I'm disappointed sometimes in some service organizations because they either sometimes do it badly or they sometimes can't respond to exactly where all of the money is going to go, that kind of thing. And there's a critic for virtually every organization. But I cannot imagine why anybody would criticize the Salvation Army for the work that you do. Can you, can you help me with, with uh, the idea that somebody would criticize you and the, uh, the sacrifice that your organization and its members go through in order to take care of people's needs? What in the world is wrong with that? You know, when people come to us and express a need and we're not able to provide it, maybe we've been given money that has specific requirements on it, and we have to say, I'm sorry, you don't fit the guidelines. You know, sometimes people wait, walk away from an encounter like that very disgruntled, but we're trying to, be, um, to have integrity with the money that's given to us and given with guidelines attached to it. Okay, what guidelines? You told me that you would take care of my Jewish friend in need, and I'm assuming that also goes for my Buddhist friend, mm -hmm. my Sikh friend. Uh, so if you're not going to say, well, no, you have to uh, promise us that you will uh, be a, uh, a person who uh, adheres to the lessons of Jesus. Uh, if you're not going to make any kind of demand on uh, those critics for that, what guidelines? So um, in one of our programs that actually is kind of nationwide, it's in pockets around the nation, um, we receive money from the government, and it's to help people with their utilities. But it says specifically in that utility assistance program that they may have to have a shutoff notice or they may have to be two months behind. And so if somebody presents and says, look, I'm going to have my electric turn off, turned off, but they haven't gotten the shutoff notice yet, the government we're using their funds, we're using their resources, we have to meet their guidelines, and so we have to deny them until they meet the, the guidelines. And that's the kind of uh, uh, concern that I'm, I'm referring to. It doesn't sound like criticism comes up very often. Not very often. You, you are in a very special place when it comes to the worldview of the good you do. I think we have a heritage of, of men and women who have really served faithfully, trying their very best to take care of our community members that are, that are struggling, that just have a hard time making it, whether it's financially, they're dealing with addictions, um, they have children who have special needs and they need support for it. There's just such a variety of ways that we're able to support people. I think that's happened historically, and then when they get on their feet, that generates goodwill um, from them and their friends. You bet. You made my life better. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the programs. Okay. Uh, this, this came as a surprise to me as I was doing my homework and I was looking at your websites here and across the United States. And you're involved in some programs I had no idea mm -hmm. that you were a part of. And everybody ought to know. So you go ahead and start and I'll jump in with a question or two. Okay. Pick any program at all. And let's just go through a few, because you're involved in so many. I don't know that we could get through all of them in an hour. Well, let me start with one that's near and dear to my heart. It's, um, and this is summertime. Um, this is a season where we send hundreds and hundreds of kids out of the inner city into a more remote area for a week of camping experience. We have dedicated 
um, college students that come every year that are counselors that help do the program for them. You get kids away from a tough inner city environment into a, a climate where they feel comfortable. They're scared to death at night because there's noises outside that they're not used to. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's when you can really start speaking to the hearts of kids. And they, they become a little group with their cabin group. They're really reticent to go the first day. And at the end of the day, when they're the end of the week, when they're getting on the bus, there are tears in their eyes because they've had such a phenomenal experience. And that's a Salvation Army camp? There's Salvation Army camps across the, across the nation. And um, it, this happens every week, every summer in all the Salvation Army camps. Tell us about disaster relief. Uh, I, I wasn't surprised when I found out that you would go to help in times of that kind of desperate need. I was just simply surprised that you volunteered to do it. <laughs> So um, the Salvation Army is active in almost every disaster. You know, it's become a professional field. And so even all of our, our disaster workers have to have the training. Um, we get the training from the FEMA classes. We become certified. You know, it's really important that at every level, every activity that we have, people are certified and trained and screened. You know, um, men and women trust their children and their, their vulnerable adults to us. And we want to know that the people that are working with us are, are good, solid citizens and are going to take good care of the people entrusted to us. So whether it's at a disaster, at a camp, or at a local Salvation Army, people are screened and trained. But disaster services, when there's a disaster, we just pick up and go. And um, we, we operate pretty independently. We have a, a lot of resources that come along with us. And we come in first to support around the existing team that's there because the people that are on the front lines, they're in, they're in a disaster themselves, but they kick in right away to take care of the community. And then when the rest of the Salvation Army team moves in, we move in around them and allow that local Salvation Army family team to go and take care of their own emergency. Were you in Puerto Rico? We were in Puerto Rico. We actually just recently have sent teams again because it, the, the crisis is ongoing there. Why? I, I, don't, I don't know that any of us within the confines of this, uh, of this country that deals with its own disasters, usually pretty effectively, um, why they had such a difficult time with that part of America that just happens to be an island. Well, I think their infrastructure is really is weak and struggling, and that their their physical infrastructure, and that has made it really difficult for them to establish electricity, to be able to keep people and to keep lights on, so that people have some of the the basic necessities they need in an environment like that. And you know, when you deal with an emergency that goes on and on and on, you you can corral resources and you can be strong at first, but when it, when it's never ending you begin to struggle when you're in that climate when in that environment and so that's really what i believe is is some of the problem in puerto rico can't think of a group of americans in greater need um at this time or sadly even as we look back in history uh the need of veterans mm -hmm. is constant and ongoing and all too often ill-met you folks are working with vets. We do work with vets. We have several large programs in um, our Las Vegas Salvation Army. 
Um, they're actually expanding. There's so much need for service there that they're expanding to a whole other building to be able to resource about another 100 um, veterans so that they can um, house them and keep them safe day after day. It's, uh, it's a sad story anytime that you are reminded by public service announcements or talk show hosts that the veterans are in need of sometimes the most basic elements of yes. society for themselves, medically, uh, emotionally, but for their families too. Right. And, you know, I don't think we, we don't understand. Those of us that haven't had a military experience, been deployed, been in a war, we don't really understand some of the, the um, special and unique circumstances that they have. So to be able to identify caseworkers that can work specifically and are trained specifically to deal with some of the challenges that they're, they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis is really a powerful thing. Deployed, and unlike virtually any other time in the history of the country, deployed again right. and again and again. Correct. In very hostile environments. Here's one that really surprised me. Not because I thought you would reject the concept, I just simply didn't know uh, that you uh, were there in at least many communities uh, to help the LGBTQ community. We are. We are. In what capacity? Well, one of the things that um, the LGBTQ community really struggles with is acceptance and having a place where they feel safe. In our um, Las Vegas campus, we've been able to identify a shelter, um, a, a building that is specifically set aside for transgender people so that they can go in and not have to worry about whether or not when they're sleeping they're going to get hit over the head or are molested. Um, and it just provides a place of safety and, and a place that's theirs that they can count on every single night that's clean and safe and comfortable. Okay, I, I, will, I will jump in because we're not taking calls at this time. So I will ask the question that some of you, uh, are asking. This is for Major Nancy, uh, and uh, her official title is Southwest Division General Secretary of the Salvation Army. Uh, that organization that you just heard about, that Christian organization helping the LGBTQ community, those gay people that some of you have felt had no part, no place in the world of Christianity. Is that hypocrisy on your part? I think that Jesus compels us to love everyone. And it, our, our, um, gen, our identity doesn't matter. Um, our identity is found in Christ, and we are to love everyone as if we love, as we love ourselves. Yeah, I don't remember an anti-rainbow part of the Bible, uh, at least as far as the teachings of Jesus mm -hmm. are concerned. It seemed to be involved with more important things than that. But you aren't. You are there in these communities to provide safe shelter. Anything else? Do you do counseling? Uh, we have counselors, case managers that are available to people if they want to come in and talk. We don't have a program specifically designed for it, but we have people that are available whenever somebody comes in and presents a needs that they want to talk to. We also are really good about resourcing people to other sources. If, if we have uh, a need that's presented that we're not able to, to address, we're happy to help um, identify a resource for them where they can go and get that need met, whether it's counseling, some kind of physical support, whether it's housing, anything like that. Okay, let me pick a country. Uh, Salvation Army in Austria? 
out of the 130 plus countries, I would guess yes. that Austria, major uh, contributor to uh, European culture and the economy. So you mean to tell me that uh, if I am in need of simply someone to talk to about my life, my problems, difficulties that I'm having right now, and I happen to be in downtown Vienna, I can find a Salvation Army office, and I don't have to make any kind of a commitment to you. I don't have to sign a check or anything. There is no commitment whatsoever. And, you know, as a Salvation Army officer, someone who wears the uniform and who is ordained, I value the opportunity to have those kind of connections, the opportunity to talk to somebody about life, to talk to them about what they're doing, what they want to do, what's hurting them, what's, what's causing them anxiety right now. That's a privilege of mine to be able to do that. And sometimes that really is all that person needs. That is correct. To, they need to be heard. They need to be listened and to be accepted without any kind of condemnation. And you don't hand them a contribution envelope or pass the basket before you let them out or, or unlock the door? No, and don't put a kettle by the door or anything like that. You are right. Well, there's a guy in Austria right now that would like to see you. <laughs> um, I'll, he, I'll head over there, okay? Here's one that's a phrase that uh, I never heard before, maybe five years ago. Just these words connected. I knew about the crime of human trafficking. I knew about prostitution. I know about the Mann Act, transporting somebody across a state line for immoral purposes. I knew about all of those things that have been around for a long time. But we called it other things. And now human trafficking is one of the sacrileges of, I think, the human condition. And you're involved in that, too. We are, and, and it's coordinated actually in our national office. Um, but you know, there are cities in our country that are that are um, really high areas of human trafficking, and it, it's our, we should be we should should be so disappointed in our culture and, and that we even begin to accept this as normal, and that we think that any part of this is okay because every human life is valuable, and no one deserves to be sold. Well, how about this city that we're in right now? The home city for the God Show is Phoenix, Arizona. And because of the weather attracting tourists and because of major sports events attracting human traffickers and their employees, there's a tremendous problem. Yes, it is. And you folks have gotten involved since when? Well, I think we started about 10 years ago when really... It it began to be apparent that this was this was not an, just an international problem. This was an, our own problem, and we had to own it and admit that it was a problem and begin to deal with it on a national and even local basis because every city struggles with this to some extent, and you cannot just close your eyes to it because you're closing your eyes to a huge area of hurt and, frankly, a, a huge area where our society has really um, dropped the ball on caring for people. And think of adult homeless people coming to the Salvation Army, shelters uh, when they need to eat. Uh, mostly, I think of adults coming mm -hmm. to you. What about a 14-year-old girl who has escaped her pimp? 
Can she come to you for help? We open our doors to anybody. We do not necessarily have housing for a 14-year-old, but we will help them get to the right place where those resources are available. Well, that's probably all she's looking for anyway. Mm -hmm. Help. Yep. That's the business you're in. Right. You know, sometimes it's establishing a, a, an alternate relationship to a pimp, a one of trust, somebody that it, in another situation they know they can come back there and find help again. And it, it really is about a trusting relationship. You know, as I go through these uh, disaster relief and vets and the gay community, human trafficking, uh, I'm, I'm wondering now if there's any program that you folks just simply don't do or don't get involved in any area of human need? Well, the, one of the uniquenesses about the Salvation Army, because we are international and because each city stands on its own, um, we're able to develop programming according to the needs of the community. And sometimes that changes. Sometimes you have something that, that is enduring. Um, feeding people is enduring, sure. isn't it? Um, but then there are other pockets of needs that go up and go down. We've really struggled in our community um, with homelessness. Um, we've struggled with addiction. In this community? In this community. And the Southwest in general? In the Southwest in general. Yes. And so another thing that we really struggle with in, in Phoenix, in our community, it, it's our natural disaster, which we have every single year, and that is heat. And so we have built a robust program about supporting um, people that are on the streets. Also, we've identified there are a lot of vulnerable adults that are in their apartments that have to make a decision about having air conditioning or paying for their medication or taking care of their animal. And sometimes they sit and they swelter and die in apartments because they think they're okay, but they're not. We have a listener right now in Anchorage and another listener in Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, and another one in Greenland, who's right now saying, what are you talking about the disaster of heat? You know, I, they in, don't know anything about that, what heat, this kind of heat, Phoenix, Arizona mm-hmm. heat, can do to the human body. Correct. You know, in, last year in Maricopa County, which is the, the, the county that Phoenix sits in, we had 155 um, heat-related deaths in last year alone. We, we've got to correct that tide. And there's been a great community support, a, a swelling of, of groups that go out and support um, these efforts. It's really providing water. I mean, water is the number one need for people. Being out on the street and being able to access cold drinking water is really important. Do you have a group of people going out in the streets with bottled water? We actually have 12 hydration stations. Every Salvation Army unit across the valley is open so that people can come in out of the elements and they can also get a friendly visit and also um, pick up water. Um, But in addition to that, we have two mobile stations in the central Phoenix area that we send out to areas where we know there are pockets of men and women that are on the streets and families that are on the streets that need support. What do you do with uh, an 80-year-old grandma uh, who's up against it just simply uh, to find one meal a day? And in this kind of heat, Phoenix, Arizona kind of heat, sometimes 115 and even though the Chamber of Commerce says it's very dry, sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if that grandma's air conditioning breaks? Um, what, 
we don't have a lot of resources to fix air conditioning, but we do partner with the energy companies who have resources to help do that. So again, it's leveraging the resources that are available in a community. And so we're able to link people like um, the, the woman who may not have air conditioning that's working with somebody who can get it up and operational. You rascals have answers to all these things, <laughs> including, you were talking about the people who uh, died of heat stroke or heat prostration. Um, the current crisis that seems to have captured people's imagination and also people's families to the degree that that families are losing folks every day in astounding numbers to opioids. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's not... That's not even a drug that you have to go out in the street for and, and look for a salesman. You can get it from the doctor. Correct. And all too many opioids have been available through our medical practitioners. Correct. So what do you do about the kind of crisis that that is? Well, we have nationally adult rehabilitation centers for men and women that are available for free for men and women who are willing to come in and to be in a work therapy program. It's six months long, and as a part of their training, part of their re reorienting their mind and their lives, it's being assigned work, um, having a, um, that be a part of their therapy. They do anger management, AA or NA, whatever's appropriate. They have counseling, things that help them work through the issues that brought them to their addiction and then help set them up for for success in the future in terms of, of getting out, getting on their feet again, and being productive. Remember when a little while ago I said I couldn't imagine anybody not liking or believing in the Salvation Army? You just laid one on me, uh, Major Nancy, that uh, my doubt button <laughs> just went off. Not because I do doubt you, I just can't imagine how even an organization like the Salvation Army could provide six months of rehab for free? For free. So what happens is the, the men and women that are in the treatment programs, they, they work in support of the Salvation Army thrift stores. The proceeds from those thrift stores are what pays for the therapy program. There's not wow. a penny of government money that goes into um, the AR, ARC programs. So um, in our division, in the Southwest Division, we have three treatment programs and we have an ARP. So we cover Las Vegas, Tucson, Phoenix, and Albuquerque. And so you may not live in those areas, but you can get people that need help into those areas and they can become a client in, in the program. There are some outstanding and very successful rehab programs uh, that uh, addicts will check themselves into if they finally get to that point. Mm -hmm. And they're incredibly expensive. I, every time that I hear what they cost, and I, I'm not saying that they are overpriced, because who's to determine Correct. what the price should be that we put on somebody's health? Uh, but it's mind-boggling sometimes how much these professional rehab centers cost. And you're doing it for free. Well, we... Ours is, again, a work therapy. They, they do the work every day. At that, the thrift store. At the thrift stores or at the warehouse that supports the right. thrift stores 
or in the kitchen that feeds the men and women that are in the program. There's a variety of ways that they can, they can be in the therapy program. Sweat equity. Sweat equity. I use that word at camp often. But you see, it's not just that they're providing therapy for themselves and, and supporting the, the program now. It's building skills in them that we hope they'll be able to take when they get out and find employment. If men and women can get employment and have a safe place to live, their chances of being successful are 80% higher. That's a huge thing for us to work on. Okay, folks. Now, listen, I told you at the beginning of the program when I said, this is The God Show. My name is Pat McMahon, and we're here all the time. Brand new one, Sundays, 8 o'clock in the morning. That's when you hear a brand new show. But then they're repeated on demand always. So you can't really escape us. But I don't think you want to when you hear about these kinds of things because, as I told you at the beginning, uh, you might feel as if you had a different motivation to contribute to the Salvation Army because we were going to talk about things that may be a surprise to you by way of the contributions of the Salvation Army to people around the world in all kinds of different uh, difficult straits. But now I remind you that the reason I'm bringing up some of these programs is because more than a contribution, I want you to know that they're there. I want you to know that all of these areas of personal human relief, those are available to you as near as that shield and, yeah, maybe that kettle, uh, whether the bell is ringing or not, you find a Salvation Army area near you your facilities here in Phoenix, by the way, are pretty impressive. Uh, let people know about the fact that it extends beyond just a welcome door. We have um, 12 units in the Valley that each have an, a unique flair. Um, we have two units that have senior um, subsidized housing attached to them. And interestingly enough, the waiting list for those units are about 25 months. So when you know you want to go into it, you need to get your name on that list because it'll take you a little bit of time to get up to the top of the list. My producer, Rosemary, has already written my name down. <laughs> uh, and, and, and tell me about the rest and tell everybody else about the rest of the facilities. I've been in a couple of them. So um, um, in our Glendale area, um, they're, the, what they're struggling with most there is really just keeping people fed. They have a large, very robust um, social service program Monday through Friday they have about a hundred people in and out every day picking up food um, that we have another unit that focus primarily on youth activities and development of youth we have um, we are the benefactor of um, money from the Croc family we have a, a Ray and Joan Croc Center here in, in the South Mountain founder of McDonald's the founder of McDonald's who who generously gifted the Salvation Army money to build facilities so that um, Little children whose parents don't have money would have the same access and could be Olympians if they had access to the training facilities that they needed. I've been there, and the Croc Center is a mind blower. It, it is amazing. Basketball, it, a pool, mm -hmm. a theater, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of uh, computer center. Mm -hmm. Everything you could imagine that a kid would want but might not necessarily be able to find, certainly for free. Correct. We had um, in our Croc Center last year um, National Junior Basketball Girls Champion Team. And we're so proud of that because 
that's exactly what it's all about is having a place where kids who don't necessarily have the means but can go and can excel and can go on and become a part of winning teams that are that are known nationally let's get back to the theater because as i was reading last night salvation army is involved with the arts and i don't just mean guys and dolls the broadway show <laughs> with nicely nicely johnson by the way were you offended by that no no i love the show Great, great, because if, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's, uh, it's a bunch of street hoodlums, and uh, I'm not going to go into the broad area of the plot, but a Salvation Army worker, a young woman, uh, happens to catch the eye of a very smooth operator. Uh-huh. And there's some wagering going on. Well, I think she comes off, and the Salvation Army comes off, very, very nicely. Yeah. In fact, as I recall, you convert the entire rest of the cast. There you go. <laughs> it's all about influence, isn't it? <laughs> but tell me about the arts. <laughs> well, so the Salvation Army, one of the things, and a lot of people um, visualize the Salvation Army when they see a, a band on the side of the street. And oftentimes they giggle because the band doesn't play very well, right? Um, but that's not actually how it, uh, it is in every place. We have um, Salvation Army units that pride themselves in taking, again, kids who don't necessarily have the resources and providing musical instruction, giving them a place for them, for them to be involved in a, a brass band, organized music. You know, it's not just about tuneful music. It's about the skills that you need, learning to play a, a part in a group. It's really life skill building is what it is. If anybody right now is, is one of those curmudgeons desperately trying to find something wrong, with the Salvation Army and saying, well, for crying out loud, why don't they just stick to food lines and, and taking care of, of people's nutritional needs? What are they doing wasting their time teaching a kid to play the clarinet? Well, the reality is that virtually every educator that I have ever brought this subject up to, including those who have nothing to do with band or uh, musical instruction, they will so often say, there are kids who stay in school even if they don't feel that comfortable academically or they're not motivated that much academically. And they stay in school either because of sports mm -hmm. or music. Correct. And those are the same two things that we find keep kids engaged to our services because there might be a sports league where they're playing at one of my fondest memories as a 20-something as a was playing in a softball league for the, for, with the Salvation Army in Southern California. And it was, a, it was a place of fellowship. It was a place of fun, kind of competition. But sports and music are what keeps kids engaged in our program as well. How young were you when you first found out about the Salvation Army and, and maybe that you had some kind of interest in finding out more? Well, so I came to the Salvation Army with my grandmother when I was five years old. So I was raised um, taking wait, advantage. Wait, why? Because somebody knocked at the door and invited us to come. Why? Somebody knocked at the door and invited you to come see To Sunday school, to see, oh, okay. to come and be a part of what the Salvation Army offered. There were five of us little children in that household. That opened the door to us of all the Salvation Army services. And you know... Um, my parents were not divorced, but they were blue-collar workers, and they worked multiple jobs. So they were 
underemployed, underpaid, and the Salvation Army adults became our mentors and our spiritual leaders and our advisors. And I will always be grateful for that because they stood in the gap when my parents couldn't. And as a, as a 58-year-old woman who um, doesn't have children of her own, I want to do that for other kids. I want to be able to be a mentor and an encourager to kids whose parents either are not able to or simply are, are not, or they're absent and cannot do it. How did you get to be Major Nancy? So I was working happily as a nurse, and, um, but, you know, I, there was one time that, that God really just clearly said to me, you know, I, I just, I want more from you in life than this. And um, I knew that um, it was just a clear calling to the Salvation Army to go to seminary, to be ordained, and to do um, whatever God called me to do. I believe each appointment that I've had, I started in Hawaii working in the inner city in Honolulu, Every appointment I have had has prepared me and given me skills and helped develop me to be ready for the next appointment. You also, by the way, just provided an added piece of information to a large part of our audience. You told them that there was an inner city in Honolulu. Yes. You know, I worked, this was um, 36 years ago, but I I worked in um, the inner city it was often um, Asian gangs that were moving in that were just new to the country, and they were fighting for turf in the new country. And I had the privilege of working in um, housing projects um, where some of these gangs were located at. It was the, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Wasn't it scary? Of course it was scary. I got hit in the head with a rock. Um, but you know what? It's okay, because I know that God didn't send me there and, and, and leave me there. He was there with me. And and Joshua, I think it is that it says that I go every step of the way with you. So I've, I've counted on that several times. When it's been tough, I, I took a, a group of, a mission group into the um, inner city of South Africa. Cape Town. Cape Town, thank you. And just a guess. Just, well, it's, it's a good guess. Um, where they speak 17 different dialects and have a lot of inner city warfare. I was scared to death, but I know that I was, I was there in the strength of the Lord. Do gang members back off when they see your uniform coming down the street? I think there's a healthy respect for the uniform once they know what it is. You know, men and women that are new to the country may not always understand the uniform, but once they know who you are and and what the Salvation Army is, there is a healthy respect. And you're feeding people and not asking them for a check, but you're also not asking them to convert. Correct. That is the most impressive thing to me. Um, you, you teach and you do your missionary work by example. We, we want to follow Christ's mandate to, to just go into the world and to love people. And you can love across languages. You can love across religion. You can, you can just love and be available and be just a smile to somebody who just needs to know there's somebody there for them. Okay, you're an ordained minister in what religion? A Protestant. So it isn't a matter of being ordained as a Presbyterian minister or a Baptist minister or a Lutheran minister. You can be ordained in the largest possible category of Christendom. Well, so I am ordained as a Salvation Army officer, and it um, our roots are in the Methodist Church. Oh. Our founder was a Methodist minister uh-huh. who started the denomination, the organization. It's actually called a movement because 
He created a place where other people weren't feeling comfortable. And so I, I'm ordained as a Salvation Army officer. Okay, so I don't have to then uh, pledge any kind of allegiance to the Methodists or John Wellesley or a- any of those folks uh, that started that element of the Protestant religion. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to anything. You can come in and just be simply you. And whatever you, whatever you need, whether it's a cup of cold water, it's a sandwich, maybe a utility bill, if we have the resources, we will happily provide it for you. What if I'm an illegal Mexican uh, having come across the border illegally? I'm not a citizen. I am, according to the Constitution, a criminal, misdemeanor, but still, nonetheless, I am here illegally. Can we, I come see you? We don't ask anybody their immigration status. Does the immigration department ask you to? We haven't, we haven't been asked. Ever? Really? N- not to the best of my knowledge. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm surprised because they certainly ask a lot of employers and they ask a lot of people. Uh, in fact, they ask a lot of people who are ministers. Well, so I do want to clarify that in terms of employment, we meet all the federal laws. So we, we screen sure. and do anything that, that it federally we're asked to do or by state. But when we talk about people coming for service, that's a totally different thing. And we do not ask for any immigration status. Because you'd rather not be considered a criminal yourself. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, at least according to the law, you might be breaking the law if you knew and then went ahead and ignored it. Uh, so you're not a sanctuary religion. We are not. Uh, when you when you serve a community, and we've been talking about big cities now. We've been talking about Phoenix, Honolulu, and and big cities, Vienna. Are you also available to small agricultural communities? I never think of of the Salvation Army being in a farm town. Well, it's interesting because my husband is is what's called a service extension director. And in, this, in the United States, we serve in every zip code that's in the United States. Oh, wow. Not everyone has a standalone Salvation Army unit, but they have, it might be a firefighter, it might be the police department, somebody in a senior center. There's a representation of Salvation Army service there. And so the service extension are the people that are an extension of service that the Salvation Army does and where we have a standalone Salvation Army. You were talking, uh, Major Nancy, you were talking about having certain obligations to the government because some of your funding comes from the government. Do they put pressure on you? Um, The government, by constitution, wants to separate church and state. And so they do not want it fund any part of our, our um, congregational services, nor do we want them to. We want that to be standalone. The money that we get from the government is provided for our social service programs, and we have no problem adhering to the, the requirements of those programs. Going to Puerto Rico? Uh, that wouldn't be government money. That would be donations from the public. Okay, well, what is it? What kind of services? You don't have to tell me all of them because we may not have the time. But what kind of thing uh, would fall under the category of this is a government-funded program? So um, there are times when you have like a preschool that you get government funds for, um, um, summer, fo- sure. s- 
uh, school food programs when you do them during the summer or at camp. Those are programs that are specifically money that we get from the government to provide a service to um, kids or to um, parents. And in those programs, we're careful not to do anything that would be construed as trying to mix religion in with that program. That doesn't work out for anybody, does it? It doesn't. And But what we can do is provide an option. If you would like your child to participate in this, this is what's available. And then we have an alternate, uh, alternate activities that, that are good, wholesome activities, but some are provided for people that, that want their children to be engaged in a religious type of a, a um, service or program. And then there's another, another thing that's offered to um, kids where a parent might say, no, that's not something I want to be engaged in. You casually mentioned it earlier in the program. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to tell me again how many years that you've been professionally and full-time apart of the Salvation Army. I've been commissioned for 36 years. I'm on my 37th year. Well, in all of those years then, I can certainly talk to you as an experienced person in the field. Are there programs that you wish the Salvation Army would embrace or would reestablish if they had already been involved that you're not involved in now? I think one of the things that would be really helpful, and I'm, this is helpful internationally, nationally, and locally, there was a time where we did a lot more vocational training um, that was independent of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an area where if we could invest more time and energy and money into getting people trained, they would have a much better six, chance of success and not a need to renew and, and ask for repeat services. I think that would be a really, really good area for us to explore for the future. Every charity that I can think of, at least in this country, every service organization uh, has to eventually wind up telling the government uh, how much of the funding, how much of the money that they receive goes to administrative costs and how much to the services themselves. Are you proud of your percentage? Um, I think that we do well. I think we could do better. But at this point, it's 81% of every dollar that, that we get goes into direct service. Would you say that again, please? Because you know what? There's, there's a family in Belgium uh, that was jumping up and down, still celebrating being in the World Cup, and they didn't hear that. <laughs> and so I just I know some of the figures that other organizations, other worthwhile organizations, respected organizations have, and they don't come close to what you just said. So 81% of the, every dollar that's given goes into direct service. The other thing that's really important that I would like to communicate is when you give, your donation stays in your area. So it's not like you give your money, but it's taken to... Seattle or New York because it's needed more there. When you give in your community your zip code, it stays in your zip code for service. Okay, so if I wrote you a check then uh, for uh, your choice of services and there's a big storm that, that took place in Phoenix, Arizona, where we also know that there's never rain or any kind of bad weather. But uh, since we recently had uh, what uh, what the Arabic language offered us lovingly, the word monsoon. Yes. The monsoon and the haboob. Thank you very much, Arab states. Um, 
We just recently had one. And you just said to me before we went on the air that you were very busy during the storm. Well, we, we actually um, served a, a hotel that's only about two buildings down from us. You never know where it's going to hit and the damage that's going to be done. We're just a couple buildings down. Your office? Our offices, unaffected, but a roof blown off of an apartment building just a, a couple blocks down. We were down there, just didn't need to do a whole lot because they were able to resource internally. But what we were able to do was pass out water to the people. They worked together as a family to clean up the, the, all the debris, make a pile so that it could come and be removed quickly. Hot, sweaty, working on that. We were able to come alongside of them, offer cold water, and just be there for the people that wanted to talk about what they'd seen, experienced, or how it was affecting them. The, that's really powerful to just, it's the, it's the ministry of presence, of just being there and being available if somebody wants you. But if these are people who are in basic daily need anyway, because they're living in an area, uh, in a building uh, that um, provides shelter, uh, if there's no better term for that, um, then if, if that tree fell on their apartment and they had no place else to go, what would you do about that? Well, last night we were prepared to make hotel rooms available if they needed to to give people a chance. First of all, you want to get them out of the elements, right? You want to give them a place of safety, a, a roof over their head where they can collect their thoughts and begin to make plans. But when we got there, that wasn't even needed. What All they needed was us to just bring just the basic support of water and um, be there to listen to them and to help and to encourage them. I did have some people ask for diapers and some basic supplies because their apartment had been damaged and they weren't able to get to it. But really, from what the potential was, when you talk about a roof um, flying off of a building, the fact that they were able, with meager resources, to take care of everybody internally was really important. They just needed a cheerleader to come alongside of them and encourage them. Well, you had your own personal need, too, in the middle of the storm, because right before we went on the air, you were talking about the fact that you had a flat tire. I had a flat tire, and I was limping along trying to get into the store so that I could get it fixed. As I pulled in, um, a man came out and said, you know, how can I help you? You know, we're, we're closed. Can, how can I help you? And he looked at my uniform, and he said, I'll help you with anything tonight because I graduated from the Salvation Army Treatment Program nine years ago, and today I'm a Whoa. manager of a store I'm independent, I'm sober, and I owe it to the Salvation Army and to God. Bringing in the sheaves, <laughs> bringing in, if only I had brought my tambourine, I might have been invited to join the band, but probably not. How could I join the Salvation Army if I wanted to? Call the local Salvation Army and just say, hey, I'd like to come down and talk to you about what's going on and how I can be involved. See, people in the audience would love for me to have another career besides this one. <laughs> I but, think you do really good at what you're doing. <laughs> but thank you very much. In 30 seconds, though, tell the audience what it is that they might be able to expect if they do walk in that office and say, I want to help. I want to be a part of this. I think in every Salvation Army, you'll get a friendly greeting. You'll get an opportunity to um, explore what the needs are. Everybody has different gifts and abilities, and so what you can offer will change place by place, but somebody will talk to you about how you can be involved and how you can engage in everything that's happening. What if I want to be Major Nancy when I grow up? 
you talk to the, the officer that's there and say, I would like to do what you're doing. That's the, the, one of the best parts of ministry. Do I have to go to divinity school? At some point you will. But you know what? You can be what we call a soldier. Soldiers are really important because they're the stability when officers get changed. You depend on good local people to be there and provide stability and constancy. That's what I told my officer when I was in the Army. I said, I don't mind being a lowly PFC because it's the soldiers, it's the grunts that really take care of everything. They really do. There's no doubt about that. Now, Invaluable. If you happen to see one of the Salvation Army soldiers, then please know that you can salute them on behalf of the rest of humanity and that you were introduced to them on The God Show. Thank you so much.